You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where I watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle, one by one in chronological order. Today, we're talking about Humilathon, which originally aired November 10th of 2002. It was directed by Jeff Melman and written by Michael Borko. Hi, I'm Jake, but my friends all call me Stain. And I'm David, and justice is swift. Getting into this week's episode, we have our cold open, which starts with Hal uh, in the laundry room, and the phone rings, and when he rushes over and answers it, clearly, like in a hurry, getting ready to go off somewhere, it is Francis calling, and when Hal asks him how things are going with the new job, he says that it's going, you know, really well, he's learning a lot, and he's actually making decent money for once, and he wants to start paying Hal and Lois back for everything. So he is going to send them $50. And this does not compute for Hal. He, like, uh, just assumes that, that Francis is asking him for $50. I mean, yeah, I get that. History repeats itself and all that. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but Hal, like, starts saying, you know, we can't afford to send you $50 right now, Francis. And Francis is, like, trying to explain, no, I'm going to be sending you the money, but it's not getting through. And finally, like, hearing all of this, you know, just from Hal's side of the conversation, Lois tells him, just tell him we'll send the money. It's fine, Hal, we, but we gotta go. So Hal, you know, uh... Passes that message on, telling Francis, uh, check the mail, we'll send you the $50, but we gotta go, bye. And hangs up, and we, we just see the like last little image of, of Francis just like on the phone, looking just completely befuddled. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, of course, we will go to the F plot, as always, which starts with Francis coming into the stables to help one of the people staying at the dude ranch to help a lady with her horse riding. And he is, like, apologizing as he's coming in for being late because he also had to uh, help make breakfast because they're shorthanded. And, like, a as he starts getting the horse ready, he uh, pulls out a croissant out of his pocket and asks her if she wants it. <laughs> then we find out why they are short-staffed. As Francis and Otto are talking, Francis is asking uh, where, you know, the other employees are, as two of them have the uh, day off, as they're off on vacation, and when uh, he asks Otto, Otto, like, checks the little puppy dog calendar uh, in Francis's office that we saw last episode, and, you know, when he tells Francis uh, the, the two employees that are supposed to be you know, taking the uh, time for the two that are on vacation. Francis points out that they're not there because Otto gave them time off to go fishing. And Otto, like, looks at the calendar dates and he's, like, flipping back and forth between the two months. Like, he's, you know, piecing together this schedule. <laughs> then he turns to Francis and says, wait a minute. Is this the same dog as, uh, as from July? <laughs> I love Otto. Otto's great. <laughs> and Francis, like, tries to tell Otto that, you know, he can't keep doing this. He has to put his foot down with all the time off he's giving people. 
which is sort of going to be the conflict for the F-plot. Because when we come back, Francis and Otto are in a room uh, making the bed, and they're, as they're doing that, Francis is I was talking some more scheduling stuff with Otto, and he's talking about, you know, once again having people fill in for each other, and he brings up that one of them is, you know, going to be coming back from vacation. <laughs> and when he does, Otto sort of is evasive about it. And Francis, like, immediately picks up on it and says, She is coming back from vacation, right? And Otto tells Francis that he extended her vacation uh, because it rained the first two days. <laughs> and uh, once again, Francis is frustrated by this and upset that it's going to make a bunch of extra work for him. But Otto, once again, blows his complaints off, and he kisses the mint as he puts it on the pillow and instructs Francis to do the same for his. That's right. You have to kiss your mint. Exactly. There's a couple of very clear rules here, Jacob. You have to eat your meat, and you have to kiss your mint. Like, I don't understand why you're confused. Well, are you withheld pudding if you don't kiss your mint? No, that's, that's only for the meat. You're withheld the good, charitable feeling of helping other people if you don't kiss your mint. Jeez, Jake. Okay. Deal. Known monster Jacob. <laughs> Look, kissing the mint is gross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so, look, legitimately, yes. You're not wrong. Please don't kiss kiss my mint. Like, I'm cool with the hotels that put mints on the pillows, but don't, don't, don't touch them with your mouth, please. Yeah, it immediately made me, like, look back on, like, every hotel mint I've ever <laughs> eaten in my life. I went, oh, no. <laughs> you, you know what I just realized? I've never actually been to a place where they, like, leave them on the pillow. I've been to several where they, like, are in a little, like, dish on the counter or something. But, like, I've never I've never been to one where they actually put them on the pillow. Huh. I, I've never had them in the little dish on the counter. I've only had them on the pillow. That's weird. And only once. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. Ev- like, almost everywhere that I've stayed in St. Louis or or Denver has always had the little dish of, like, mints of some sort. Most commonly, Andy's mints. The best fucking mints, but... They're pretty good. So, uh, from there, we go... We, we see Francis as he is filling in on masseuse duties. As he's coming into a room, and a woman, like, greets him and lets him in. As he brings in the massage table. And as he's setting it up, she asks if he can deal with lower back pain, and he says that he's an expert. I I didn't write down the exact uh, phrasing he uses, but he basically just throws out a bunch of, like, back terminology. He said at spinal sciatic impaction. Yes. I figured you would uh, note that. Oh, 100%. As he's, like, clearly struggling to set up this massage table as he's explaining this while she like leaves the room then she comes back and says that's great and then she calls out saying happy anniversary honey and uh, she tells her husband she's gonna go to the spa and her husband comes out and he is a very large very hairy man (laughs) very hairy very (laughs) Hal-esque yeah yeah but big (laughs) yes and uh, as he comes out he asks Francis, face up or face down? <laughs> Francis asks, why? What are you going to do to me? Right. <laughs> oh. 
Uh, then we, we see Francis doing a bit of the massage, clearly grossed out over how hairy this guy is uh, as he's, like, using the massage oil. Uh, but this guy is half of the time of his life. He's loving it. He, he's making, like, like, groaning sounds and talking about how great Francis is doing. Yeah. So uh, I actually, uh, like, this is, like, one of my biggest fears of, like, why I don't get professional massages is uh, I actually had a friend that a similar thing to this happened. Like, he went to a massage parlor, got a brand new person who, like, lied on their application and wasn't actually a professional masseuse. And, like, they actually ended up, like, fucking up his back. Yikes. Yeah, and he had to go to a chiropractor and get it fixed because they were, like, rubbing, like, directly on the spine with, like, their elbow and stuff and, like, dislocated one of his vertebrae and, yeah. Jesus! (laughs) Oh, yeah, dude. I always had, like, this weird, totally, I thought, irrational fear of, like, masseuses and, and, like, just I don't like the idea of, like, okay, lay down on the table, you know, cover yourself with the towel and then we'll come in and start rubbing on you. Just, just fucking weird anyways. And then, uh, Cody had that happen to him and had to go to a chiropractor for six months to undo the damage of one bad massage. Okay. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. No, I, I've never heard of it since. I've never, like, I tell people that story all the time and they either don't believe me or like, that's, that's like one in a million, man. Go get a massage. You'll love it. No, because I'll be tense the whole fucking time. I like craning my neck, looking back at what they're doing. Like, the, who the fuck are you? What are you doing? <laughs> I just can't do it. <laughs> I don't like people touching me, especially people I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. My my concern is that I am very ticklish. Oh god! <laughs> like very very ticklish. <laughs> You'd just be giggling the whole time. They'd be like, "This guy's a creep." <laughs> exactly. That's why I've never done it. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh, that's that, funny. That and I am also a very hairy man, so I'd feel bad. Well, they just would dump more oil on you, just like Francis, right? Uh, yep, that was Francis' solution. You know, with enough oil and enough friction, you would no longer be a very hairy man. True. <laughs> so there's the disturbing story for that timeline. Yep. So then when we come back, our last scene with Francis... He is packing up his office, putting everything in a box, and he is clearly about to quit. And Otto comes in and is like very excited to show Francis something, but Francis initially says, you know, he doesn't want to see it. He's had enough. And he, he tells Otto, at a certain point, your management style isn't being nice. It's just reckless and it's creating more work for other people. And. Uh, Otto's, like, trying to cut him off, and you know, Francis complains about all the extra things that he's had to do, and he's worried he'll have to do again, like run an aerobics class, or fake his way through a wine tasting, or play the prostitute in the play. <laughs> I knew that was you! But Otto convinces him to follow him outside, where he shows him a truck. And he ex- explains to Francis that... This is his truck, he saw it, and he thought of Francis, and he thought it would help with his work. And Francis says, see, this is exactly what I mean. You're the best boss ever. <laughs> and Otto, uh, like, like, sort of fakes him out, saying, you know, I would like to give you a couple days to, you know, take the truck out and go on a little trip, but 
you know, we're too short-staffed, and Francis says, that's fine, I understand, and then Otto says, I got you, take a whole week. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and that's how Otto kept Francis from quitting. Mm, that's a way to say it. Yeah, it's, it's the only way to say what happened, David. No. Yeah. You could also say, and that's how Francis took advantage of Otto. No. Otto's yes. just very generous. <laughs> you can take advantage of people's generosity, Jacob. No, that's not what Francis is doing, though. No? Nope. Really? Yep. After last episode, literally the last fucking episode, you're going to defend this shit? Yeah, of course. Francis is a good guy. Ooh. I don't know why you can't understand that. He's the Let, best kid. Let's mm, <laughs> let's save it for later. Yeah, let's. Oh, you son of a oh. bitch. I hate you so much. <laughs> You're going to hate me even more in a second, David. <laughs> From here, we're going to the TT plot line. Stands for Twilight Time. No, that's not yes. the convention. That's yes, not, it is. That's not the naming convention. Sure it is. No, it's not. Jacob, there are rules, and you need to follow them, okay? Yeah. Plot lines, I followed them. No. Plot lines yeah. are named for characters. There is no Twilight character. Therefore, there is not a TT timeline. Of course there is. There is not. Yeah. No. And it's uh, centered around Dewey. Uh, it is the D plot line for Dewey. Mm, that sounds fake. Look. <laughs> It's okay to be wrong, Jake. And you are very, very wrong. No, this, this is the new convention as established last episode, David. No, 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 no. Just because you do a dumb bit once doesn't make it the rule. This was the rule established by Eric and I, which is a majority le rules vote. Okay? This is the convention. And by that logic, Eric also approved this new convention. So. No, look, Eric's a pushover, all right? And he did not approve. He just... <laughs> The audience, I'm sure, will side with me. Uh, well, I mean, I think it'll largely depend on which cut of that episode they listen to. Wait, are we actually doing that? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. I just thought that was a joke. Uh, two things can be true. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, the Olive Garden cut. <laughs> I mean, hashtag release the Olive Garden cut, am I right? I mean, if they can get it trending on Twitter, we kind of have to. That's right. So tag life at life is unfair or unfair <laughs> underscore pod or something like that. I don't know. Uh, unfair underscore podcast. Yeah. Tag us on Twitter. Hashtag release the Olive Garden cut. That's right. Or hashtag free Olive Garden. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, that's all I'm trying to do is get free Olive Garden out of this. Yeah. Either hashtag works. <laughs> yeah. But just soup, salad and breadsticks. Nothing else. Uh, I know. <laughs> uh. All right. So the TT plotline starts. No, no, the D plotline. The TT plotline starts with Dewey being uh, informed that as Malcolm and Reese are now both in high school, he is going to be the first one home every day. He's going to be home 15 minutes before the other boys. It's a long time. Dude, we've talked about Twilight Time before when it came up. But th this, this, this is the true Twilight time. Not even any siblings there. Oh. I wouldn't know. It was, like, the, the best 15 minutes of, like, every day. Do you just fucking come home, 
put on Spider-Man on the big TV, because that always came on, like, right as I was getting home. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, Jake, you poor, <laughs> poor soul. Uh, no, that was awesome. What are you talking about? That was great. When I, I see. To, you know, sometimes, you know, 15 minutes into watching Spider-Man, other people came home and ruined it. Yeah, see, <laughs> this is where being homeschooled was great. Because once the little sister got old enough to be in dance recitals and like shit like that, that was my twilight time. And it was a lot of it because they they go to like her dance classes for like an hour and the oldest sister worked. So she'd be at work or at college. And then dad was, you know, a truck driver. So no one was home and I would just chill. Yeah, that's that's the issue with having four brothers and sisters is. They're very rarely all gone at the same time for stuff. It's weird because I only had like a very short window of time because, you know, my mom always drug me along for a long time, drug me along, drug me along. And then I got old enough to where she was like, okay, you can stay home. And then this weird phenomenon happened where we started adding children who lived with us, you know, like my brother (laughs) and my other sister. And all of a sudden there was no more alone time. Yep. Ever. That's how they get you. Right? <laughs> See, but I, but I had my 15 minutes of twilight time every day. I didn't. That was bullshit. From, from like third grade on, it was great. That That's crazy. <laughs> but uh, given his new status as a latchkey kid, Dewey is given a key to the house. Ah, uh, latchkey kids. I also love that they call him a latchkey kid. <laughs> yeah, they're not in denial about what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I, I feel like officially doesn't make him a latchkey kid. Yeah. I feel like your parents have to be in denial about what's going on to make you an actual latchkey kid. I suppose. <laughs> they also didn't give him any like weird rules like don't run the AC until we get home and you know stuff like that. Don't run the AC till we get a what? <laughs> oh yeah. So as a person who has taught multi-generational uh, classes for a couple years now, talking about generations when we get to the latchkey kid part every time i'm teaching like people who were actually latchkey kids and from that generation where like that first started to be a big thing they always list off like weird shit like that that their parents had for them and one of the most commonly reoccurring ones is you weren't supposed to like turn on the ac or anything until your parents got home that is bizarre because <laughs> it would waste too much electricity the kids would keep it too cold they would they'd let it get super cold they wouldn't you know shut it off when it hits 70 like i never had that rule <laughs> but i could just i could see those like thermostat obsessed dads doing that yeah like i remember like my dad fighting with my sister about that but he, he would never like take it to that extreme that's crazy <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. That's a that's a big one. Or you know, like don't cook until we get home. And yeah, my parents probably should have given me that rule. Probably. I remember one time I wanted to find the melting point of various liquids, so I I tested it using the microwave. Oh. I would just put things in the microwave, and you know, see how long it took before it would melt through the cup. Oh my god. But anyways, <laughs> dude, what the fuck? I can't, I can't say much because my mom bought me a chemistry set, which was a mistake, and we would just mix different chemicals to see what would happen. 
Yeah, I I remember, and I also wanted a chemistry set and never got one, which, you know, with that story in mind was probably a good idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> look, I blame the schools for teaching me the scientific method, because, I look, I, I was writing it down. I was making sure to use the same cup every time, like the same style of coffee cup. Oh my god. Yeah, see, I I did not do a scientific method approach to it, really. I mean, I did, but accidentally. I just, I've always been such a pattern thinker that I was like, alright, let's start with this chemical and then just add one slowly until something happens. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you just learn that pattern, and exactly. that was chemistry. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't write that shit down, I memorized the pattern. No, it's terrible. You gotta write it down, David. If you're a nerd. that Exactly. That's what makes it science. <laughs> yes, but if you just do it by feel, that's what makes it mad science. True. So uh, Dewey is much less destructive on his first day. Very. <laughs> As a latchkey kid, uh, he, he like comes in and he sort of like looks around the house sort of awkwardly and it's like very quiet as he comes in. And he opens the fridge, and he uh, takes out a carton of milk, and then he, like, immediately spins around and, like, hugs it to his body and says, It's mine! And then, you know, realizing that there's no one there to try to take it from him, he sort of gets a little smirk on his face, and he says, It's mine! (laughs) Then, the next time we see Dewey, uh, the, the next day, he is at the kitchen table, holding court alone. As he's uh, proposing some changes to how the house is run. Starting with saying that he thinks that they should move meatloaf day from Tuesday to Monday so that they have an extra day of meatloaf sandwiches. That seems reasonable. Then he sort of like looks around the table, you know, as though giving dissenters a chance to speak. And of course, when there is no one there, he just moves right along to the next point. Which is that he wants to move the furniture around, he wants to move the table in front of the TV, and he wants to move the couch in front of the uh, refrigerator. I mean, yeah, that's just that's just good sense. I'm less on board for this one. Look, as a kid, that plan makes total sense. As an adult, not so much. But as a kid, it makes total sense. No, you, you just move everything in front of the TV, David. Come on. <laughs> Then he proposes that instead of hand-me-downs, they should have hand-me-ups. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> no, that's that's maybe his worst proposal. <laughs> it doesn't work. I understand why Dewey wants that, having gotten all of the shitty hand-me-downs from his brothers. Yeah, look, I get it, because, look, you need to have your own shit, just, just for once. Like, I'm not saying it's a good rule. I'm not saying it's a good idea. But if we could do it for just like a month, where basically, realistically, what it is is just I get new shit for once, that would be great. I was the middle kid, dude, and I had sisters, and I still got hand-me-downs, all right? Fucking track that shit, all right? It's awful. (laughs) Look, I I understand the spirit of what Dewey's proposing, but there's some logistical issues. Look, it's not a perfect system, (laughs) but it's a just system. Then his his final proposal is that school should only be four hours long, and it should be held on the roof of the school instead of in the school. I'm actually okay with that one. It's better than the hand-me-up system. Look, it's a just system, not a perfect one. 
Oh, I, I also uh, skipped over. He thinks that kids should be able to steer. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably cars. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, according to my parents, they could. Right. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> uh, then the next day of Dewey's alone time, uh, he is dancing with a broom uh, to Popolo's Mambo. Like all around the house, uh, sort of reminiscent of his uh, B. Arthur dance, is what it immediately reminded me of when they were dancing to ABBA. Yep. Then he's he's like you know dancing and having fun until he sees Malcolm coming in towards the back door, and he like very quickly jumps over to sit on the couch and uses the room to shut off the boombox and turns on the TV before anyone can see what he was doing. Right. Then as Hal and Lois are having a conversation about uh, what, what happens in their plot line. Dewey is on the phone ordering something, and he is very precise about when it needs to be delivered. Not 315, not 310, not 305, 3. Yes, and he says that his son will sign for it. Then we see what he ordered as he goes out to the garage. And he starts, uh, like, taking stuff off and, and then a tarp off of a piano that he has bought. And he puts a uh, How to Learn Piano in 15 Minutes book up on the music stand on the piano. And he starts playing uh, Claire de Lune uh, very well immediately, which will be a recurring thing. This is the introduction of Dewey's form of genius. He is a musical genius. Perfect. He's a genius savant. Which uh, actually kind of ties into some stuff that has happened uh, in older episodes that I've, I've been waiting to, to go back to. I've got two of them, David. Yeah. One is the uh, season two premiere where Dewey like has his little like odyssey where he goes on all of those like wild adventures with various people and he brings up in one of them that he uh was with a uh band and they let him play drums which you know clearly ties into this you know clearly it wasn't just like a, they were amusing the kid thing he was already a genius then and he i believe probably it fucking killed it and uh two uh less specific to the show but when we were discussing which x-man dewey would be I had to hold my tongue because Dewey would clearly be Dazzler. Clearly. I, I now see that. Yeah, he's a showman. He plays music. It all adds up. Yeah, I'm I'm perfectly fine with this. Okay. I'm glad you're on board. Yeah, this is this is uh, canon Dewey. Then the last little bit we get for this plot line is uh, sitting at the dinner table while Reese and Malcolm are talking. Dewey is, like, miming playing the piano, uh, cl clearly, like, mentally practicing his piano skills, and he is interrupted as Lois and Hal come over to him and say, you know, uh, we realize it's been really hard on you this past week, you know, having to be home alone, so Lois tells him she's rearranged her work schedule so she'll be able to come home by three. He'll get to spend so much more time with them. That's right. And Hal says, you know what? Why don't we spend this weekend cleaning out the garage? 
and Dewey just gets wide-eyed, realizing that his, you know, secret purchase of this piano is not going to last long. Yeah. That, that is it for the TT plotline. So we will go from that to the M plotline. M for Mop, obviously. Oh my god. No. No. The M plotline is Malcolm. No, there, there, no. No, he's not really involved in the M plotline. That's because this isn't the M plotline. Are you talking about the S plotline, the school plotline? No, oh my god. That's the god. one that turns around Malcolm. I'm going to light you on fire. <laughs> uh, well, uh, to be fair, the uh, M plotline does sort of spin out of the S plotline. Uh, as it centers around Hal, and to a lesser extent, Lois, having to volunteer at the school for the first couple weeks to, to help with, like, some back-to-school stuff. Which Hal uh, is, like, initially complaining to Lois about. He asks, how did this happen? She says, because they caught us. You know, we, we've gotten away for the past 12 years, but we were bound to be volunteered for something eventually. I mean, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, uh, and that is why they are at the school with Malcolm and Reese for this episode. And they are given tasks by none other than Herkabee, who has followed Malcolm to this high school. He, he is now the uh, Dean of Discipline. And apparently part of his duties for some reason uh, with, with that position is to be in charge of all the parent volunteers. You have to discipline them, Jacob, or otherwise they don't stay on task. You know, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Herkaby gives Lois and Hal their initial tasks as he has Lois uh, handing out papers while he sends Hal to the football field. And Hal starts immediately complaining about... Uh, being separated from Lois, he asks, you know, isn't, th isn't there some way we could do something together? And Herkaby sort of, like, looks over the, the paper he's holding and says, Oh, nope, there's nothing. But doesn't it make you feel better to know that we tried? <laughs> <laughs> which, of course, puts Hal and Herkaby into conflict, which, uh, naturally in true Hal fashion, will escalate. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Although um, it's not Hal's fault. I don't know, he started it. No. <laughs> Jerkaby is a liar. Whoa, whoa. There's no need for that kind of language, David. Uh, I disagree. But the, the first little bit we get of their duties is Lois uh, handing out some papers that need to be filled out by students. And as she, like, hands one of the student, one of the girls uh, so some, like, paperwork and explains what to do with it, she also tells her to uh, button up her shirt, uh, because guys like mystery. Boys like a little bit of mystery. Then she uh, you know, starts talking with one of the other moms about how much fun it is to, you know, be back at a high school and, you know, doing this and you know, getting to see all these excited kids as they start the new year. Then <laughs> it cuts to Hal, who is out on the football field, uh, trying to clean up just like a landfills worth of discarded flyers with one of those like little uh, poker sticks yeah it's one of the trash sticker poker thingies yep yeah. yeah and he is like trying to pick them up as the wind is blowing them around 
And he is clearly not having a great time. Then, as Lois is, like, putting up bulletins on the bulletin board perfectly, uh, Hal comes over to talk to her, and Lois, like, brags about, you know, how flawlessly she's arranged this bulletin board. It's all lined up perfectly. There's just something about thumbtacks that brings this out of her. And Hal, of course, starts flirting with her as they talk about, you know, how strange it is being back in the high school and, you know, all the memories it brings up. And uh, as they, like, start flirting a little bit, Herkaby comes over and interrupts them. He asks Hal if he's finished cleaning up the cigarette butts at the uh, football field. I don't think you said that name right. Uh, Herkaby? Uh, Jerkaby. I, I understand mm-hmm. it's a difficult name to get. Dialect's a little weird, but it's Jerkaby. No, that's that's horrible slander. No. That that Hal throws out behind his back like uh, a it, coward as he walks away. Wow, and incorrect. <laughs> and uh, he, he leaves Hal and Lois alone. And of course, uh, Hal, once again, ha- has his uh, seduction face on. Uh, he doesn't even have to say anything. He just gives Lois the look. And she, like, uh, is clearly into it, but is sort of played coy. Throw, throwing out reasons that they shouldn't do anything. You know, saying that there's too many people around, and they could get caught, and uh, where would they even go? And certainly this uh, storage closet it would be locked, and of course it isn't. <laughs> and she says, uh, and then there's no way two people could fit in here, and they both go into the utility closet, and presumably bang. Yeah, I feel like presumably is not needed in that sentence. It's just straight up. That, 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 that's what happened. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> then Hal later on runs over to Herkaby and he uh, apologizes for uh, the, you know, the way he talked to him earlier. And Herkaby says that his apology is noted but refused. <laughs> <laughs> What's Herkaby? Hmm. <laughs> No. Like, you don't, you don't have to accept someone's apology, Dave. But you should, if you're a good person. Not always. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Accepting Hal's someone's... Hal's a menace. Hal's a menace this episode. Even, even if that were true. Even if that were true. Accepting someone's apology does not necessarily mean that you have to forget or even necessarily forgive them for their actions. Uh, but it's keeping you from being a piece of shit and an asshole. Someone is clearly trying to do and take steps towards the right thing. Uh, you should acknowledge that. He did. He acknowledged it and then didn't accept the apology. Like, what What the fuck? Yeah. That's literally saying, what that's saying is, I, I, I see that you made an attempt, but I don't give a fuck. Like, fuck, fuck off. No you're, not, no, no, no. you're not that good of a person either, Jerkaby. No, Herkaby's great, and... Yeah, like, he doesn't have to accept this apology. If, if you're not genuinely going to forgive someone, you shouldn't accept their apology. What? No. No. That's dumb. Yes. Yes. That's how an apology works. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. No. So you're you're telling me that you cannot accept the fact that someone might be sorry for their actions without also being willing, able, or in a place where you can forgive them for those options? That's bullshit. I Like, not, not if they've actually, you know... Not taking steps to rectify their actions. No. 
That's absolutely that's, that's ridiculous. An, and sincere apology, Hal Gibbs. No. And also, yeah. that, that puts the onus for for your feelings on someone else, and that's not the way that works. So No, I, I think I think it's a matter of honesty. I, I think that's what accepting an apology means. It's an act of forgiveness. I don't think it has to be. No, that's what it means to me. Right, but I don't think that's actually what that means. I think that the act of forgiveness and allowing someone else to make amends is two different things. I agree, but I don't think an apology is actually making amends. It's literally... Unless it's backed up by a a, a change in behavior. It is literally the, the textbook start of it. And uh, as he tries to start it, Jerkaby is a total asshole. So, yeah, fuck off. No, no. Uh, Hal, Hal wrongly insists that uh, he, he accept the apology. And when he presses the issue, Herkaby tells him, you know, no. And in fact, I'm expelling you from the program. Yeah, because he's an asshole. Yeah, because uh, Hal was insisting when he shouldn't have been. No. How's in the wrong here? No, not even close. <laughs> You're fucking Herkaby bullshit, man. This is going to be some problems. You're literally rooting for the villain. You need to stop. The villain? What? He's the hero. Come no. On. I fucking hate you. I know Look, this how's, is a... How's know- going around mm. having sex on school property? He's a menace. Herkaby's right. I, no, he's he not. He should and be expecting this know, program. No, fuck you. I know that this is a bit for you, but I'm getting legitimately upset. <laughs> Fuck it, I hate you. Herkaby is the worst. I hate this character. <laughs> well, when we come back to this plot line, Hal is directly disrespecting Herkaby's authority as he is uh, mopping the, the school after having been expelled. And Herkby, like, walks past him and then sort of does a double take as he realizes who is doing this. And he confronts Hal, saying, you shouldn't be here, you were expelled from the volunteer program. But Hal says that he's been mopping and uh, he only has five minutes left before he's done with the, you know, uh, initial requirement for their volunteer time. And... Uh, Herkaby tells him, you know, he's not going to finish this. Uh, he's not finishing the volunteer program. And in fact, the, the floor doesn't even look clean to him. And then like a monster, he grabs dirt from a potted plant, which, by the way, it needs all the nutrients in that soil, and starts just throwing it on the ground that Hal has just very clearly finished sweeping and mopping. And it was it looked pristine. And now he's throwing Dirt. He is hurting a plant and just in general being an asshole. That plant's gonna be fine. It wasn't that much dirt. It was a lot of dirt. And also, this is like the most childish shit I have ever seen. How going to the school and doing this, you know, without permission behind everyone's back is the most childish thing in this episode. Look, all it meant, Mark no! didn't handle this as well as he could have. But what? he had to, he had to stop Hal somehow, David. No, he didn't. This is this is unsanctioned mopping, David. At a school. Good. That, exactly. That's even worse. No, it's not. They've got yes. He's not supposed to be at that school. He's unauthorized. 
Actually, he's, be allowed. A pa- he's a parent. He is authorized to be there. You know, he has kids that are at that school. Yeah, no, but look, he was expelled. He's not. You can't expel a parent. Trust me, I know a lot of teachers that wish they could. <laughs> <laughs> look, a- and as someone who's worked in education, I support that. <laughs> Frankly, look, I'm I'm more pro expelling parents than students. <laughs> I I agree with that sentiment. Okay. But that being said, you can't actually do that as it stands even now, let alone back then. Herkabee was wrong, and I need you to realize that because you're just hurting yourself at this point, Jake, and it's sad. Damn, I, I feel great about this. I know you do, and that's the problem. You feel bad, but you're so wrong, and you can't see it. And I just, I, I need you for your own health to just be better. You're right. I'll try to be more like Herkabee in my life. What? No. What? No. Herkabee is the is awful. He's the villain. You need to remember that. See, you keep saying that, but it just doesn't add up. And and to my point, as Herkabee, you know, admittedly, again, not handling the, the situation perfectly, uh, also throws a dumpster over, like a trash can over, uh, to, you know, ruin the, the, the floor that Hal uh, did his unsanctioned mopping on. Hal resorts to violence. So he takes his mop. And he viciously strikes Herkabee in the face with it, knocks him to the ground. Deserved it. And this turns into a full-on mop fight. Which, between... pre your your uh, propaganda, I loved this scene so much. It was oh, so fantastic. much fun. But you are the worst. <laughs> and Herkabee totally deserved to be cold clock. I mean, that's not true, but Herkabee does defend himself. So he grabs them up, and, and they proceed to fight, and it's a, like, fairly drawn-out fight. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it's it's got, got some, like, great, like, uh, very, like, Jackie Chan-style, like, action comedy bits going, which I love. Kinda, yeah. It was, it's, it's, like, very, also mixed with a little bit of, like, 80s action movie. Like. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, no, for, for sure, it's fantastic they we've got the like you know like ducking behind the pillar at the last second move and, <laughs> and, and of course ends with the climax but the climax is they, they both like are you know uh sort of locked sort sort of like looking like hockey players when they like lock their sticks and then they both like at the same time look over and you know see the uh mop bucket uh the, the like janitorial like one on wheels the the yellow one and they both, like, sprint over to it and start dunking their mops in, and it ends with them both, like, simultaneously, like, uh, raising their uh, mops, like, uh, about to strike each other down. (laughs) And it just hard cuts to them both in the principal's office, with Lois, like, standing with the principal with, like, her arms folded, looking disappointed as well. (laughs) And Herkabee just says, in my defense, he started it. (laughs) Yeah, what a little brat. And uh, that that ends uh, the mop plotline, David, the M-plot. That's not its name. You need to stop. You're a monster. I I, I don't understand why this is so confusing. It's not not confusing, Jake. It's just wrong. I understand. Why do you always sound so confused? I'm not confused. I'm exhausted. You're just, you're so wrong. So wrong. All the time. 
Alright, well, let's go to the last plot line, the S plot, the school plot. And it, of course, primarily follows Malcolm on his first day of high school. And starts with, with him at the house, you know, talking to camera, uh, talking about how excited he is. He's not going to be a Krell boy anymore. This is a fresh start for him. And as his eye twitches, he, he reassures us. This is an excited Twitch, not a nervous Twitch. Then Malcolm and Reese are driven to school by Hal and Lois. As uh, for the reasons we've already established, they're doing the volunteer thing. And as they're like driving up to the school, Malcolm and Reese both say that, uh, you know, you, you can drop us off here like as they're approaching. And Lois says, yeah, that doesn't make sense. We're going to the same place. And she points out that there's a, a spot right up there uh, by those cheerleaders uh, right up front. And of course, Malcolm and Reese are embarrassed by this. And they don't want to be seen at the school with their parents. And uh, but before that, Lois also is like giving Malcolm advice that if any bigger kids are mean to him, he, he should go see Herkabee. <laughs> Which, of course, Malcolm says that he won't do because he thinks that Herkabee's a psychopath. Because he is. And he says that Herkabee is out to get him, or has been out to is. get him since they first met. Yeah, he literally <laughs> told him that. Exactly. Because Herkabee's the hero and Malcolm's the villain. Okay, Malcolm might be the villain, but Herkabee is also a villain. Two villains can fight, Jake. No, that's that's fake. One of them has to be the hero, David, and clearly it's Herkabee. He's, he's out to get the villain Malcolm. Just like Batman's out to get the Joker. Herkabee is like Batman. I'm sorry, Herkaby is Batman? Yeah, he's the good guy. First of all, what era Batman? Because, uh, I got some news for you, Jake. And second of all, uh... Wait, you're saying Batman's not always the good guy? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, look, you know, I don't kill people. I just hang them off of buildings by their feet for multiple hours at a time. Yeah, that's, that's that... what good guys do. No, no, that will permanently fuck someone up. Look, here's the thing. Batman, not a good guy. Herkaby, not a good guy. Wow, see, you just have no moral compass. That's what this is, David. I... <laughs> Listen, guys, if you're still with us at this point, if you haven't completely shut this show off because Jake's so full of shit, one, I want to say thank you. Two, I want to say at us at unfair underscore podcast on Twitter and tell us how wrong Jake is because what the fuck? <laughs> Uh, and make sure to use a uh, hashtag release the Olive Garden cut. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> hashtag Olive Garden cut or hashtag free Olive Garden. Even if that's not what your actual thing is about. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but you're a monster, Jacob. <laughs> but uh, when they get to the school, uh, it like cuts from them in the car to Malcolm and Reese running away. With Malcolm thanking Reese for doing something back there. But Reese says, I was mostly the firecracker doing the work. And he says, it's a good thing there were cheerleaders there. They stampede easily. Which is a fantastic line. And they run into Herkabee, who of course uh, immediately greets them. Says, so the golden child returns very sarcastically to Malcolm. Huh. And he... Also turns to Reese and says, and you must be Reese. So he says, I've examined your file thoroughly and uh he, he sort of threatens him saying you know if he steps out of line he, he's gonna go medieval on his permanent record uh, again because he's the hero 
And uh, Reese says, uh, like, stares him down and says, you need to ask yourself, what happened to the last Dean of Discipline? <laughs> they uh, leave, leave, leaving Hal and Lois to have their first interaction with Herkaby. And we then see Malcolm as he's trying to find freshman orientation. And he is lost and very clearly intimidated by the high school. And he asks a other student for, you know, directions to where he's supposed to go. And, and they sort of shrug him off. And he sees the other Krellboins who, who have all grouped up and are calling out to him. And he reluctantly goes over to them. And when he does, they, they start loudly complaining about how bad the map is. It's not to scale, Jacob. That's right. How can they expect us to navigate with a map that's not to scale? And <laughs> Malcolm like tries to get them to talk more quietly, uh, but of course they don't listen, and he is clearly getting embarrassed uh, being there with them. Then we see Malcolm as he is at his second day of high school, and he is once again talking to camera. He's talking about how his first day wasn't so bad. He didn't manage to make any new friends, but he did manage to mostly avoid his old ones. Yeah, that's, I mean, I consider this an absolute win. Okay. Uh, a win for the other Krellboins, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who do you think I was talking about? Okay, yeah, fair. Yeah, I don't care about, I don't care about Malcolm. <laughs> I'm talking about, like, Dabney and Lloyd and, you know, Cynthia, the good characters, you know? Yeah, that's, that's fair. And as he, like, says this, and he's getting in line to get his books, uh, the Krellboins once again start calling out to him. Cynthia's, you know, yelling at him that this is where they're going to be meeting for lunch every day. And Malcolm literally turns his back on them. Uh, yep. He just, like, turns around and continues to stand there, pretending like he doesn't hear them. And the other Krellboins, seeing this, sort of, uh, get the message... And then they all turn and walk away sadly. Then Malcolm finally gets his books. And as he's like walking away, the lady who gave him his uh, textbook swaps out with another mom. And that, that's just enough time for Malcolm to look at the book and like open it up and realize that it has been completely destroyed and drawn in. And he goes back to the table and tries to exchange the book for one that's not ruined. And the new mom immediately assumes that Malcolm destroyed the book and tells him that if he wants a new book, he's going to have to pay $40 for the one that he destroyed. Uh, which uh, I, I can uh, definitely inform you, uh, $40 is a steal for even a very old textbook used by public schools. <laughs> Correct. Can also say Malcolm's uh, condition of textbook, uh, pretty par for the course. <laughs> right. But Malcolm, seeing like Lois is at another table also passing out books, goes over to try to get her help. But when he does, she notices that he has a stain on his new pants. And she very loudly and very publicly points this out. And she like gets down like on her knees and starts like trying to clean the stain up. While everyone is, like, staring at Malcolm as she, like, comments on this stain and the pants and says that he really wanted these pants. He begged her for them. And when they almost left the store without them, he was going to cry. <laughs> and she, Poor stain. She can't figure out what the stain is. And she says it. It seems to be coming from the inside. 
and uh, when, when Malcolm complains, he says that she's embarrassing him. She says, this isn't embarrassing. And she, like, asks one of the random kids watching, would you be embarrassed if this happened to you? And he, like, shakes his head. She says, see, this isn't embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> and the Krellboins uh, scene as Malcolm gets, you know, publicly embarrassed in front of the entire school. Like, satisfied, especially Stevie, <laughs> who just says, justice is swift. <laughs> Uh, which is where my intro line came from. <laughs> then, the next day, Malcolm is desperate to uh, salvage his image, and he has a plan to do so. He is going to be the first freshman with a girlfriend. Ooh. He says that he had initially planned to, you know, wait on this until he met a girl that he liked or that liked him. Uh, but get given the embarrassment from the day before, he uh, has to put this plan into motion now. So he walks over to a couple random girls, and he uh, says, hey, and they turn and say, hey, Stain. <laughs> and this, this, like, immediately stops Malcolm in his tracks, and, of course, like, th then multiple people, like, start walking past him, greeting him as Stain, because apparently this nickname has spread through the entire school already. That's right, and he is Stain. That's right. And Reese just runs up to him and thanks him. <laughs> he got in on the ground floor. He sure did. Then <laughs> Malcolm is like starting to panic and he like you know, tells himself to remain calm and he runs through his breathing and he you know, still goes through with his plan as he yells out to the girl uh, that first called him Stain asking if she wants to be his girlfriend very awkwardly. And she just, like, turns back to her friends and ignores him. Then, back at the house, Reese is very happy about this new nickname. And he's uh, talking to Malcolm about how great this nickname is and how it's one of those nicknames that's, you know, it's gonna stick for life. <laughs> because the, the, the cruelty of it is just so perfect. I know those ones. They're the worst. Don't you say it. I, I wasn't gonna say anything, David. Good. I'm not I'm not some monster like Reese, but uh, he, he even tells Malcolm that he's already forgetting his real name. And of course, Malcolm is just completely miserable. Then uh, the next day at school, Malcolm is sitting at a lunch table alone, uh, just like completely defeated. And the Krellboins come over. And uh, initially they're saying, you know, uh, we know that you don't want to sit with us, but... Uh, there, there's no other tables, and Malcolm, now having uh, gone into self-pity mode, in you mean typical Malcolm, Malcolm mode? fashion, <laughs> yes, yeah, you know, tells them he he doesn't deserve them, and they they, sh they shouldn't want to sit with him, but because he he is a joke, and when Cynthia like re reassures him and says you're not a joke, Malcolm, to reiterate that he is. Two, two other kids walk by and, and both throw out stain-based pun names for him. Yeah. And the Krellboids are trying to get Malcolm to rejoin them, and they say that, you know, that uh, they've made new friends. They joined the chess club. Oh, yay. <laughs> well, uh, the, the chess club appreciates geniuses like them. Lloyd says he was voted king, and Dabney says I was voted queen, which is actually the more powerful piece. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's for sure the, uh, a very, uh, you know, 
chess club mentality. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. But uh, Malcolm, like, continues to insist that uh, uh, would just, you know, be ruining their reputation at this point, and he uh, gives a very self-pitying apology to them, which Cynthia calls him out on, and then gives him a little pep talk, uh, which the other Krellboyd sort of join in, with Lloyd saying, you know, there, there's only four years of high school left. Then, the next time we meet up with Malcolm, he is, like, walking out of class, and Cynthia runs over to him and grabs him by the arm and tells him that they should go to yoga together. She really thinks that would help Malcolm. And she reassures him, there's guys there too. <laughs> and as they're, like, walking together, Reese rushes over to Malcolm to warn him that Lois is at the school and she's, uh, <laughs> very upset because Hal got into trouble. <laughs> He advises Malcolm to stay out of her path, but this gives Malcolm an idea. Drawing from really horrible inspiration. Yes, he, he is uh, going to get himself sent to military school as his plan, as he walks over to Hal's car and he gets the Heidi key out, and his plan is that he is going to crash Hal's car into Lois's car. <laughs> <laughs> that will surely get him sent to military school like Francis. Yeah. Cynthia tries to talk him out of this, but he is insistent that this, that this isn't a dumb idea, this is a smart idea. <laughs> and uh, the other Krellboins also see what's going on, and they all react differently. Uh, like, L Lloyd seems, seems to be, like, the only one who hasn't figured out what's going on. His only comment is about how the, uh... He says that they don't have the right, uh, sticker for that parking lot, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, which also, by the way, implies that Lois just parked where she wants. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's such a Lois characteristic. It, it just made perfect sense. It, yeah. it is. And, uh, Stevie yells out for, uh, saying, uh... Someone, uh, someone with feet needs to stop him. <laughs> uh, and Dabney just yells out, take me with you. <laughs> then Reese jumps in front of the car and he says that he's uh, not going to be left behind alone with Lois. And uh, when Malcolm like revs the engine, he says, run me over if you have to. And when he does it again, Reese, like taking him seriously, runs out of the way. Right. But before he can go through with his plan, uh, Cynthia takes drastic steps to stop him. As like a bunch of kids have gathered around or once again watching this, she loudly declares that uh, if he does something this stupid, she'll never have sex with him again. And... Malcolm, uh, of course, turns and looks at her very confused and says, again? <laughs> but the, like, rest of the school, like, uh, immediately, uh, much like they did with Stain, clues in on this and uh, immediately starts slut-shaming Cynthia. Yeah, like, what the fuck? Yep, I mean, was, this is public school in the early 2000s, David. What's this it really? It, it, was, it was awful. Really? Because, like, I know oh, yeah. so many people... Who, like, especially by high school, like, had slept with each other, and I never heard this shit. Now, granted, I know I wasn't actually in the school, but, like, I was around the schools and, and around after school all the time, and I I never heard people talk about people like this. 
unless they were like very very promiscuous and then they slut shame them relentlessly which was just insane but like this is one of those things that like seemed to change while i was in high school to some degree but like even by the time i graduated it was still very very omnipresent like like any girl who was known to have slept with any guy was pretty consistently called a slut uh, by my like shitty people in the school and uh you know the Double, double standard uh, did not apply to dudes at all. It was you know, very much the opposite. Right. Which is what what happens here, uh, which yep. uh, Malcolm even sort of acknowledges as he turns to camera and says, you know, I should probably learn a lesson from all this, but all I can think about is how everyone in school thinks I had sex. Uh, but he, yeah. he doesn't actually quite get to finish the sentence as he as he's saying this, Lois rips him out of the car <laughs> and, of course, starts screaming at him. And a, a little uh, extra side note that makes this moment extra shitty is this is also the last we get of Cynthia. Fuck, really? Yep. Boo! She's such a good character. She is. It's so underutilized. Yeah, I like Cynthia. Yeah, Cynthia's great. Okay. Yep, that that definitely solidifies one of my choices. All right, cool. Okay, fair enough. But then the, like, last little tidbit, uh, the, the same scene where uh, Dewey gets informed that the uh, garage is going to be cleaned out this weekend, and he's going to help. <laughs> Reese is, like, sucking up to Malcolm. He's, like, giving him extra pancakes at breakfast and telling him he did his laundry and he even folded it. While it was warm. Uh, he wants Malcolm to, you know, tell him uh, about the story with Cynthia and... Malcolm tells him, I, I'm not going to tell you, uh, you know, what happened. Nothing even happened. <laughs> and Reese just asks, but where did nothing happen? And uh, that that does it for this episode. Yep. That wraps it up. It sure does. So let's go to our awards. Awards. And we will start... With our Roller Skating King Award, our award for the best visual moment. What did you have for that, David? Ooh, I had a couple, but since I get to go first, I'm going to pick my uh, favorite favorite. And uh, you actually captured when you were explaining it why it's my favorite. Um, but that is Dewey uh, doing his little dance with the the broom. It reminded me so much of the Dewey B. Arthur scene. And their little montage that we got of them hanging out. And I love it. It's amazing. I, I also, I just love this side of Dewey. And uh, yeah, it was, it was amazing. And there was, there were so many good scenes in this episode, but that's, that's the one that really like stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. That was my backup. Uh, but go going from brooms to mops, <laughs> I chose the mop fight. It was pretty good. Uh, it, it is very good, and it is also, like, nice to see a, like, big physical comedy set piece with, with Brian Cranston that, that, that like, <laughs> involves someone else doing, like, the same ridiculous shit. Yeah, dude, it was so good, and uh, I want to give an honorable mention of my backup, which is Dewey playing the piano, because that scene's just so good. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But It, it is very good. But yeah, no, I love the mop scene, and the... The, like, the break in the fight to glance over at the mop bucket, very, like, kung fu movie style, you know, and then dunk the mops and then go after each other. 
It was so good. It was so funny. That is, and, it, and it's also like fairly well choreographed too. Yeah, like it, it, it's not crazy, but but like it it is on the level of like the, those cheesy like eighties and nineties action movies. Yeah, <laughs> it's a Jean Claude Van Damme movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and what did you have for your hot dog with mustard award? Your award for the best line. This is another one where I have, I literally have four that I, I was like narrowing down from. But uh, I think I have to go with just because how disturbing it was and also just how much I love this new character. I, I selected Otto when he just says, now kiss your mint. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's just it's such a throwaway dumb line, but it's it's gross, it's funny, it's weird, and it just it showcases just exactly how like eccentric and weird this dude is, and I love it. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. It, it is a good line, and I do love Otto. I do too. But there were there were so many good lines. I literally have four others written down. Yep, yep. There, <laughs> there's a ton this episode. There are. But I ended up choosing uh, a Hal line. That's while he's like talking to Lois uh, about the you know incident with Herkaby, the like initial you know banning from the school, and he says he thinks he won, which means I think I lose. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> That's fair. That was a good line. I love that. And Lois is like immediate confused expression at it. Also, really helps sell it. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but moving on to our next award, which of the plot lines did you give the A plot of your heart? I gave it to the Hal plot. Yeah? Yes. I, I did really like the mob scene. I also like that Hal is, uh, you know, standing up to the villain Herkaby, Uh And I like to see, you know, Hal standing up for himself. Also, it's just, it's funny. Like, I, I like this. I, I like when you get to see Hal and Lois be Hal and Lois. I like when you get to see Brian Cranston do crazy, goofy things, over-the-top things. And the mob fight was really very good. It's it, it might not be the most moving moment in the episode, but it is just so good. Yeah, no, that that, that is fair. I, I strongly considered that plot line, but I ended up choosing the TT plot line. The Dewey plot line? Yeah. The D-plot? No, that doesn't make sense. Hey, come on. Yeah, the D-plot for Dewey. Uh, no, that's crazy, Doc. Uh, but I, I really, I, I did really like that dancing with, with the broom scene. Uh, so like good. I said, that, that was my backup for visual moment. And I also loved uh, Dewey playing the piano. It was great. And I love that that's established here. Also, Mama Loves Mambo. <laughs> yeah, Papa Loves Mambo. <laughs> it's just such a perfect song for that scene. Yeah, it was just very well done, and it was funny, and it was cute. I liked it. Yeah. And uh, tying into that, uh, for my favorite character, I actually chose Dewey for this episode. Okay, fair. It's a good choice. Yeah. I also chose Dewey for this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's fair. It's it's weird, because like, Dewey has my favorite moments, Hal has my favorite physical comedy, and Stevie had, like, my favorite quips, so it was hard to, like, choose which of the three. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I think the, for me, the scene of Dewey playing the piano and, like, having it hidden and the care that he takes to un unveil it and 
sit down with the 15 minute, you know, learn to play book and, and practice and, and be playing just so well. It's, it's such a good scene. Yeah. I had to, I had to go with Dewey as well. Those, uh, scenes, uh, particularly like the piano scene and the dancing sequence are also what prompted me to give Eric Persullivan the Cloris Leachman Award, the award Same. for the best acting. Yep. Yeah, no, 100%. He's such a good actor, man. Yeah, yeah, he does fantastic this episode with, with all the physical stuff they gave him to do. Yeah, he does. We see some good physical comedy from him, similar, you know, akin to like Hal's stuff. You see him playing piano looks flawless. I don't know if Eric Persullivan actually knew how to play and played or if he just is acting there. Either way, it's phenomenal and I love it. And the the broom scene, the dancing with the broom, just so good. And I mean, especially when you consider this is a child actor. And I actually have looked into the uh, piano thing before. He he is like a like musician who can play the piano. Okay. But I, I'm not sure if he was like at this point. I can't find like a a, a right. definite that that a, you know at this point he could play piano. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So, but still, either way, just fucking awesome. Yeah. And uh, what did you have for your OK Boomer Award? Your award that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. A used textbook for forty dollars? Are, <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah, that. <laughs> Jesus. I was homeschooled. We had to buy all of my textbooks. Yeah. God yeah, damn. That's, that's fair. Also, just like the, the idea of public schools, like, using textbooks. Right? They actually use very right. few, like, physical textbooks now. True. If, if you can uh, afford that upfront cost of, like, getting all the kids uh, iPads, it's uh turns out much cheaper to do that than buy a bunch of textbooks. Yeah. Plus, if it gets outdated, you can update it. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, but, but it is not what I chose for my OK Boomer Award. I figured not. That's why I went with it. Well, David, the thing that I chose is in, uh-huh. uh, the, the initial breakfast scene. Uh-huh. Is they're eating breakfast. No. I happen to notice. No. On the top of their fridge. No. There's a pop cereal box. No. <sighs> no, Jake. <laughs> no. No. There, there was, nope. David. There nope. sure was. No. And I, you no. know, I, I just... No, I, I really, I really no, did a deep dive. No, I no, really you didn't. Looked no, into you it. didn't. No, you spent, didn't. Spent a lot of time, a no. lot of effort looking into you no. know the specifics of Kellogg's brand. No, no, you didn't. And, you know, specifically narrowed down the specific pops box. Jake, you know, to, no, you to didn't. the early two no, thousands, no, you know, no, Kellogg's you changed, changed their logo a few no, years later. It was no, like, it's a whole no. big thing. It's actually a really fascinating topic. You know, you uh, miss some, you piece of shit. <laughs> Uh, guys, if you want to know what Jake's stealing right now, he's stealing my information that I gave you way back in, I think, season two. Go back, listen to that episode. Uh, I don't even remember which episode it was, but uh, mm. just I'll listen like to all, story. all... Shut up. Listen to all of the episodes again. You'll see that I was the first to mention this, and now Jake is trying to literally steal my ideas, and it's mind-boggling and infuriating and i hate it he's awful he's the worst hashtag free olive garden but david if i was stealing this from how would i know that no, specifically no. the pops box once had had an issue where they inadvertently made a very racist back of their cereal I box i told you that 
No. How how would I know that if I know I can do? That's that's crazy talk. I taught you that. That no, that doesn't make sense. That can't that can't be possible. Comment leavers, please obliterate Jake. You guys have sent plenty of emails <laughs> with the "you're wrong." Please help. This is what I'm stuck living with. I'm in hell. Help. <laughs> All right. Well, that just leaves our shittiest and least shitty get awards. You were quiet for a long time there. I was laughing, David. <laughs> I hate you so much. I, I was I was laughing at your suffering. You're the worst. Uh, so who did you choose as your shittiest kid and why was it Malcolm? Well. Hmm? Go on. So. Uh, knowing that this is Cynthia's last episode does mm-hmm. make me want to choose Malcolm. But. My original shittiest kid, Francis. Well, that's that's just wrong. No, no, it's not. He literally, look, the thing that you and Eric were like all up in arms and defending fucking Francis for, for firing that dude who wanted to, quote, take advantage of Otto and them, he's literally doing the exact same thing now. And he was getting ready to do the right thing. And then the minute... He's like, oh, and I bought you this truck. All of a sudden, all of his morals go out the window, all of his conviction. Yeah, no, Francis is a piece of shit. Uh, I, I will say, I, I did disqualify Francis for a least shitty kid for exactly. But I still don't think he's shittiest. I, th- I think Malcolm is the shittiest kid here. No, it's Francis. Uh, like, uh, probably Malcolm, realistically Malcolm, because of the whole thing that we never get to see redemption for Cynthia. But also, like, fuck and fuck you and... Francis, oh, how the mighty have fallen. The hero Francis. Yeah, no, shittiest kid, Francis. He, he has to have his m- numerous moments where he falls short so that he has things to overcome, David. Uh, That's how n- heroism works. No, no. Yeah. Y- you don't continue to be a piece of shit as- when you've become the hero. That's part of the hero's journey. No, 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 no. You've made the argument before that he's transcended into the hero into being the hero well no. yeah but it's an ongoing show he he has to constantly regain his hero status David. no 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 yeah no 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 also malcolm is also a piece of shit oh yeah Mal- malcolm absolutely he literally turns his back on his friends literally i i'm well aware malcolm huge piece of shit but we know that like malcolm shittiest kid from one of the writers okay we know malcolm is shittiest kid yeah, but look, this episode's strong evidence for that. True, but Francis, uh, Francis is shittiest kid here because, especially if he is this great thing that you make him out to be, he did a very, very shitty thing here, and uh, that earns him shittiest kid. I agree. He did a very shitty thing. I still consider Malcolm worse. Well, you're wrong. Well, and and who did you have as least shitty kid? Dewey, because there was no other option. Incorrect. I know, you're going to say Reese. Yes, by process yeah. of elimination, because Dewey uh, presumably stole Hal's credit card. You don't know and that. used it to buy this piano. How did he pay for that piano? Dude? Maybe he didn't pay for it. What? Yeah. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> I do know. No, you don't. They don't, they don't, they don't just send out free Jake. pianos, David. Maybe they did. Maybe it came from the MacGuffin Piano Factory. <laughs> No, if it was a MacGuffin, he would have had to go on a quest to get it. I mean, he kind of did. No, we didn't. It just showed up at exactly 3 o'clock. He <laughs> ordered this 
with stolen money. I'm not, admittedly, maybe not Haller Lois's. We don't know who's stolen money, but it's someone's. You don't know. I know, I know, I know. He doesn't have that kind of money. You don't know that. Maybe he saved up. This is, this is clear case of theft, leaving only Reese available for Leisha. Reese doesn't do anything that bad this episode. I mean, he piles on Malcolm with the stain stuff, but uh, Malcolm deserved it, so fuck it. Wow. He is a stain. (laughs) Okay, that's fair, yes. In fact, we shall now refer to him as Stain. But uh, To be honest, I can't remember his real name anymore. Yeah, Stain uh, walks into the, so now it's the S-plot. Anyways, uh... It's always been the S-plot. For Stain. You know what? Sure. Okay. Yeah, that's for Stain. Okay. <laughs> We've reached consensus. That's right. And <laughs> harmony. Malcolm is so shitty, he brought us together. That's right. <laughs> and, and balance was restored to the force. <laughs> Look, he, he's the bigger evil that makes us team up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hashtag down with Malcolm. I don't know why everything's a Twitter hashtag this episode, but. Yeah, I, I think you're really convoluting the one hashtag that we really need people to be using. That's. Uh, hashtag release the, the Olive Garden. Garden. Oh, release the Olive Garden. Well, yeah, what, look, or. we They're need to. Yeah, okay, look. Here's the here. Here's how I'm going to Twitter literally right fucking now. So if you follow along and you follow our Twitter, okay, you're gonna know exactly when we recorded this episode because you're gonna go back and look at the Life Is Unfair podcast at unfair underscore podcast on Twitter, and you're gonna see me post to their timeline, okay, and I'm gonna post. Saying the two hashtags, and okay. uh, that's that's uh, <laughs> that's especially it's especially funny because the the episode that's referencing isn't even going to be out yet. <laughs> I know, and that's the best part. That's why I'm doing it now. <laughs> that is very funny. <laughs> all right, let me. All right, so I can't post. I forgot this doesn't work that way. I can't post directly to you, so I have to tag you. All right, life yeah. is unfair. Podcast. Always remember it's hashtag free olive garden and slash or hashtag release the olive garden cut. And then I'm also going to tag our good buddy at file under entertainment. And then we're going to put a gif because (laughs) olive garden. Oh, I should tag olive garden. Uh, Oh, they have a gift that's literally just a dude dancing on top of the breadsticks. Oh, that rules. Yes, it does. I'm okay. There we go. All right, so that's there. Uh, and then we're also gonna say down here at Olive Garden. They've got to have a Twitter, right? Everyone else does. Yep, they I sure do. So yeah. Boom. Tweet. All right. There you go. It was done live, but also you're listening to this now, not live. So go find that tweet, like it, share it, repost it. Also, you'll know exactly when we recorded. It's, it's, it was posted live in the same sense that everything that is done is done live. <laughs> <laughs> That's the joke, Jake. You're welcome. Okay, well, to the Cranston Connection we go. <laughs> That's right. From from our apparently recurring Olive Garden segment. Right. <laughs> day oh, one of okay. tweeting until Olive Garden sponsors us. Uh, any day now, any day. Okay, well, the Cranston connection uh, was my responsibility this week, and I 
looked into, uh, you know, Brian Cranston's uh, filmography a bit, you know, see if maybe these uh, mop fighting skills that he clearly, ha clearly has that are, you know, very impressive uh, ever came into play again in his career. And uh, in fact, they did. I knew it. And one and one of his uh, strangest transformations, <laughs> when when he apparently uh, managed to fake his way as a panda who knew kung fu in the film Kung Fu Panda Three, uh, in which he played the character Lee, who uh, you know uh, worked with uh, the Jack Black played a uh, panda, whatever his name is, <laughs> Poe. Yeah, sure. It's been a long time since I've watched Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, look, Kung Fu Panda, a.k.a. Jack Black Panda, is Poe. Okay. The original Poe, before Poe Dameron decided to run around and make his name famous. Yep, the first person ever named Poe. Correct, was Kung Fu Panda, exactly. Yep. Literally canon. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, clearly, the uh, Kung Fu skills he, he would need in that adventure, you know, later on were uh, honed and acquired here in his uh, battle with Herkaby using these mops, uh, much like that they would later use bow staffs in the Kung Fu Panda movies. Yeah, this is where he learned how to do it. I, I exactly. get it. Exactly. It, it all adds up perfectly. I just want to know where he got such a good panda costume, because it's very convincing. I mean, it's Brian Cranston. He can convince you of anything. Oh, shit. Yeah, maybe he wasn't even wearing a suit. He's just that good of an actor. I think so. He's that yeah. good at physical comedy, Jake. It's all coming together. Uh, but, uh, th that, that is it for the Cranston Connection this week, leaving only David's guessing game. Which, I mean, uh, you actually did very well for this one. Thank you. Your prediction was that Malcolm would have what you described as a series of unfortunate events, which of course just Im immediately made me think of a Lemony Snicket. Uh, and while uh, there there was no uh, Lemony Snicket connection, unfortunately, uh, the, Bad, this, no. this this is definitely a series of unfortunate events from Malcolm's perspective, <laughs> right? And you you also correctly predicted that the Krellboins would somehow be involved. You weren't sure how, but they were in fact involved. And you also threw in as like a last minute note that you thought Dewey would have some adorable capers. And that's exactly uh, what happened. That's true. Yeah. It was a very adorable Dewey plotline. It was. So I'm, I I have to give you 100%. I, I think you nailed this yeah. one. Good job, David. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, what do you think happens in Family Reunion, David? Uh, okay, so Family Reunion. Family Reunion. Uh, we're season four. This would be episode, what, three? Yep. So I wonder if Francis and Piyama go down and visit... The family, because, uh, you know, we did, he did just uh, take advantage of Otto and get a week off and a truck. So maybe they drive the truck down and go see Lois and Hal and the boys. Okay. And uh, it's too soon for us to see Cloris Leachman again. I don't know. Maybe they go to a family. Maybe we finally meet Hal's family. Maybe they go to like Hal's family reunion. And that's why like Francis and Piyama come down and, and you know, they come down from the dude ranch and. They visit, and we get to see Hal's family, and they go to, like, a family reunion, and, uh, I'm running out of ideas for family reunion. That's all I got. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I can't think of any specific questions to ask here. 
It, it, do, it does feel a little uh, thin on this one. It does. I, I, I don't know. Like, I'm literally, I'm racking my brain, but I don't know what else to say. Because, like, this is the problem with the early episodes. It's really hard to be like, okay, well, we haven't seen a, a episode where Reese does this. or You know what I mean? Like, because it, it, so far in each of the seasons, you have some, like, general themes that reoccur. Right. Um, but they're done in very different ways. And so I, it gives me at least somewhere to, like, guess. But, like, I don't think this is where Reese is going to go to jail. I still think that's going to happen this season. It almost happened episode one. Almost. Um, I think it's still going to happen. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, what do I think the boys are going to get into? Okay. So let's follow the train out. Let's, let's think, David. Okay. So if I think that Piyama and, and Francis are going to come down and they're going to all go to a family reunion for Hal's parents. Now, we don't really know a whole lot about Hal's parents right now. Um, nope. But I'd imagine because of how little we've seen them and the throwaway lines that they don't really get along great. So maybe, like, the boys have, like, a, a clash with, like, some of the cousins. And there's, like, a, a cousin standoff. Or maybe... Uh, if they were more southern, I'd say they would like argue over some sort of inheritance or something that's like years down the road. But that's that's more of like a southern thing to do. Okay, I mean, I, I think that's enough if you want to stop there with the cousin standoff. We, we've got at least a specific. I mean, yeah, that's that's literally that's that's all I can come up with. I I don't have enough information to guess any more than that. Okay, uh, th I think that's enough. Okay. Okay, well, that wraps this episode up. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast, uh, where you can send all of your hashtag uh, free Olive Garden and or hashtag release the Olive Garden cut tweets. Uh, or <laughs> you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com. And if you like the banter back and forth here and you want to join us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray where we play video games, chat with the audience, and in general, have a good time. And don't miss out on November 6th. We will be doing a 24-hour live stream event raising money for the Denver Children Miracle Network of Hospital. And it is going to be an amazing time. We have a ton of great guests coming on. We have a ton of fun games planned, and you guys will get to see the way that we torture each other for charity, all while raising money for the kids. You don't want to miss it. As always, remember, life is unfair. <laughs>